It's a very holy time we're in right now. If you feel it, then you feel it, whatever that means. But uh, yeah, tomorrow night starts Rosh Hashanah, and we'll be here at 6 o'clock, and I hope everybody comes. It's always just an, really an amazing celebration when we begin uh, the new Jewish year and the Day of Trumpets and all that means. And we'll get all into all of that tomorrow night, but we hope to see you tomorrow night. Well, it's good to be back. I'll tell you that. It was good to be on vacation, but it's better to be back. And Susie and I had a really, really uh, good time uh, when we went to Europe, visited a, a bunch of countries in Europe, and we just had a really great time. And boy, did we eat. I got gelato coming out of my eyeballs still. Come on, somebody. Oh, and I learned my new favorite word. You ready? Affogato. Anybody know what affogato is? It's this, is it like gelato is cream, with cream with hot espresso poured over it. Oh. Affogato. Like, it was, it was really, really good. Anyway, we had a really good time. The locations were, were beautiful in Italy and in Switzerland. And um, really good experiences, too. Like, one thing that we did that I really loved, I didn't realize I would like it so much, but we, we climbed up to the top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, um, which was a really cool experience, you know, kind of walking up that marble, slightly tilted spiral staircase all the way up to the top and seeing the view from up there. That was a really cool experience for me. And um, one really neat experience of, of Susie's, we're in Switzerland, and we get to this area in Switzerland and I'm really grateful the Lord brought us to this area. We could have gone to other areas in Switzerland, which may not have been as nice. But this place was just weird. Like, it's, it's like it was so idyllic. Like, it was like we left the world and walked into a fairy tale. Like, everything was peaceful. The rabbits were happy. The birds were happy. Everybody was happy. It was this strange place. And with mountains and rolling hills, and it was really, really beautiful. So it's our first day there, and we're just walking around trying to get a lay of the land. And all of a sudden, Susie hears, like, these little bells in the background. And Susie's a big fan of uh, wind chimes, you know, to put on the house. Wind chimes. She loves wind, wind chimes. And we're hearing these wind chimes all over the, this land. Like, everywhere we look, we're, we're, we looked or turned, we're hearing these bells. And Susie goes, boy, these, real, these people here in Switzerland really speak my love language because of all these wind chimes. So we're walking, and all of a sudden we go over a little hill, and we see what these wind chimes were. They were not wind chimes. They were cowbells hanging off of cows. So there were these, all these cows, and they're grazing, and, and then, you know, and the bells are just clinging and clanging all over the place. And it was, just, it was such a surprise, and it was just a sweet moment. Like Susie thought, like, it was, it was really just for her. And because I took a walk later, and, and the sheep wore little bells, and the alpacas wore little bells. Like, so you hear in, in, this, in this landscape, you're hearing these bells everywhere. And it was really beautiful. And, and why do they wear these bells? The reason that the shepherds and the herdsmen put the bells on the animals is because the landscape is very vast and the landscape is very mountainous. You know, and these animals can just be grazing and they're grazing and they're grazing and all of a sudden they get lost. 
and all of a sudden they're on the other side of a mountain and the shepherd or the herdsman needs to know where they are. So they listen for the sound of the bell and they say, my sheep is over there. It's very easy for sheep to get lost. But the sheep are wearing a bell. So no matter how far they go, if they go on the other side of the mountain, the good shepherd knows where they are. I think I'm feeling a sermon coming on from my experience in Switzerland. No matter how far we go away, no matter how far away we go from the land, no matter how far away from the, we go from the shepherd, we may not be having little bells hanging from our necks, but the good shepherd knows where we are. No matter how far we go, no matter how far we turn, there is no pit too deep where his arm is not too, not too short to save. There is no darkness too dark where he can't come in and shine light. That is the good shepherd that we have. So that was that experience. What else? Oh, we went to, um, gosh, we, went, we, we took a turn to Germany, and we went to one of the concentration camps. So we went to Dachau concentration camp, and that was a very sobering and somber experience going to the concentration camp. It was something I always wanted to do and just pay uh, honor, give honor to, to the, that bit of land and the experience that happened there. I've been to Holocaust museums, but I've never been to an actual concentration camp where those atrocities actually occurred, and we were able to do that in Germany. And yeah, it was, I mean, what, what can you say about it? It was just a very sobering experience being on that land where all the suffering and starvation and punishment and, and torture and all the things that we know happened and the extermination of people happened. Being on that land was uh, just uh, quite an experience. And I had a lot of emotions on that land. Like I was filled with a lot of rage and just a, just a, just a, a lot of different emotions coming into me. You know, I, I posted on Facebook daily my, our journey and where we were going. And when we went to the concentration camp, I really didn't post anything. And the reason I didn't post anything is because, like, I didn't have anything to say that would be edifying. <laughs> anything that I had to say would just upset people. Because I was feeling, like, angry, you know? Like, I, for instance, one of the things, silly things I was feeling angry about is, you know, here in America, we throw the Nazi term out all the time. You know, if there's any sort of politician we don't like, you know, we call him a Nazi. You know, Trump is a Nazi. Or, or Biden is a Nazi. You know, just stop. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not even close. Whatever side of the aisle you want, just stop with the Nazi comparisons, you know? So, and I was going to, like, post that. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to upset everybody. You know, everybody here loves me. Not everybody on Facebook loves me. So I could thank you. So I could say anything I want here. And it's such a blessing to be in a place where I know I could just be myself and I could just talk freely and just be goofy and even talk about my struggles. It's just a blessing to be in, in, this, in this place with you all. Um, but one of the things that really came to me at the concentration camp is when I learned that it was the American soldiers that liberated that camp. And I felt very, very grateful for America and for the American military who, with much sacrifice, went over there with, with much death and suffering they experienced and liberated this camp. And I found myself very, very grateful for America for their entrance into World War II. And then I had to kind of back up a little bit and do a little research on like why America entered into World War II. And I realized that originally, this America's stance in World War II was one of neutrality. 
Like, it was Europe's war. Hitler was Europe's problem. You know, we're safe here with our borders surrounded by ocean. This is Europe's problem. We have a neutral stance. And then Pearl Harbor happened, and it changed everything. Because when Japan attacked us at Pearl Harbor, we declared war on Japan, and then Germany declared war on us and started bringing their little U-boats to our towns. So we had to get into the war. And it made me realize that if Pearl Harbor didn't happen, now Pearl Harbor is one of those tragedies that we remember still in America, right? In more modern times, we may honor and commemorate September 11th, right? But back in the 40s, it was Pearl Harbor. It was this tragedy in America where another country came in and bombed actually you know, one of our ports. And I was realizing that if that didn't happen, as tragic as that was for America, if that didn't happen, America might have stayed neutral. And if America stayed neutral, God knows how many other Jews and non-Jews would have been killed over there and slaughtered. God knows how far Hitler would have gone. And it made me realize that there was a point and a purpose to Pearl Harbor that's beyond our understanding. Because God will bring a Pearl Harbor to awaken us out of neutrality. Neutrality is like our despondency. And Pearl Harbor is like the trials we have in our life that all of a sudden breaks us out of complacency and says, you know what, I'm in this battle. I'm in this war. I got a part to play. I feel a sermon coming from my experience now in, in, in Germany. We have a part to play in this battle. And sometimes God's got to bring a little Pearl Harbor explosion into our lives to awaken us and realize you can't just sit on the sidelines. You're part of this thing. God needs you in this end times battle. Even the battle that we read about in in. Corinth, uh, no, uh, Chronicles with Jehoshaphat, very famous, you know, where the prophet went to him and said, you don't need to fight this battle. The battle is the Lord's. All you need to do is set yourself and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, even in that battle, the people had a job to do. They had to sing. They had to praise. They couldn't just be neutral. They had to do their part in this battle. We do our part, and God brings the victory. And sometimes we need to remember that in our lives, that these Pearl Harbor moments we have in our lives have a purpose to wake us up. And he will do that. So what else? Where else did we go? You know, we also had some challenges when we were out there and, and, and vacationing. And, you know, people ask me, people asked me before we went on vacation, like, when you come back, tell us what the Lord told you. I'm like, do I have to be a rabbi even on vacation? Like, can I just go and have a good time? Well, uh, to be honest with you, like outside of these things that are coming out right now kind of extemporaneously, like really what happened in, in, um, in Europe with me, if I could really be honest. And like I said, it's just, it's great to be am amongst people who I know love me, and I know that I could just be silly and funny, but I could also talk about my struggles openly and honestly. And to be honest with you, 
when I was in Europe, uh, what happened spiritually? How did God speak to me? To be honest with you, I had a little bit of a crisis of faith when I was there. And, and let me explain what happened. And I think this is important for us to realize as we go about our lives, especially as we approach trumpets, the Rosh Hashanah. So let me just back up a little bit. That was the worst moonwalk ever. The Gen Zers here are going like, what's a moonwalk? The 80s folks are going, Michael. 60s folks are going, Jackson 5. 50s folks are going, what's a moonwalk? You know, just like the Gen Z folks. It all just turned. Anyway. So back up. A couple of weeks ago I was here, and I told you all that I was convicted to really cover every step of my life. So just pray over everything. Pray over the steps that you take. Just, just bring everything you do before the Lord. He ordains our steps. So when we do things, just bring it up to him in prayer. And it's very important for me to do that, to just say, I'm about to do this, so Lord, I, I give this to you, whatever it is. You know, the Jewish people, sometimes they get a bad rap, especially from Christians, because they have a little prayer, a little bracha, they call it, a little prayer, a blessing for everything. You know, oh, it's by rote, it's by rote. But you know what? I like it. I like saying a little prayer before I eat a meal or saying a little prayer before I go to work. It just brings God into it. And it connects us with God no matter what we do. To bring God into the sometimes into the mundaneness of life, is something that's really helpful. I believe our spirits actually want it. We want it. So I was doing that in the, in the vacation. You know, and everything we were doing, I was praying about. You know, we'd go on the plane. I'd say, Lord, I lift up this plane ride to you that it's safe. And we get there in, in your timing and in your way and, you know, all these things. And then we get there and everything is good. And we land in Milan and everything is fine. And now we have to take the taxi to the, to the Airbnb from the, from the airport in Milan, Italy. So I'm like, Lord, help us find a taxi that, that's going to take us there. I'm just, I'm just covering everything in prayer. Every little step I'm praying about, you know. And I got to go find a taxi. And I don't even know how to say taxi in Italian. Fortunately for me, the word is taxi. So I found the taxi, and he brought us to the Airbnb. So now we're at the Airbnb. Lord, I pray over the Airbnb. Bless this place. Bless the owner. May they this experience there. May you be there. May we experience you in this place. Just covering everything. Just bringing every step. The Lord orders our steps. So let's just bring our steps to the Lord. He orders them. So let's bring it up to the Lord. So now I'm praying for the Airbnb, and we get into the, and the owner, and he comes and meets us, and he brings us to the Airbnb, and he opens up the door, and it's, it's nice enough. And we get in there, and it's, we unpack, and we take our nap because we were really tired, and then we go out. Lord, I just pray that you find it. Give us a place to have a little meal. You know, we, we do this, and I'm just praying over everything. So and then we finally have our night's sleep, and we wake up the next day, and now this is the day that we're supposed to take a taxi to the Milan train station, and then go from the Milan train station to Florence, Italy, to Florence, and then go to our Airbnb there. That's the agenda for the day. And I'm praying. So, okay, Lord, I just pray for the taxi to come on time and for a blessed taxi ride. 
So 10 o'clock, the taxi was going to come. All of a sudden, at 10 o'clock, my phone beeps. The taxi's not coming. Canceled. So now we're like, what do we do? We have, <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, so now we have all this luggage. We're on the streets of Milan. So I asked somebody, uh, excuse me, do you speak English? Uh, poco. Uh, how do we get to the uh, train station? Uh, 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 so we're running around frantically looking for anybody to help us. And I'm, I'm praying, oh, God, you know, bring us to the train station. We got a train to catch, but this vacation is yours, and we're just going to leave it into your hands. So we're going back and forth, and one person told us, going to get on the bus going this way. Once we got on the bus, some person on the bus said, you're on the wrong bus. Get off the bus and go on this bus. And then we get on another bus, and the person tells you, no, you're on the wrong bus. If you want to go to the train station, you got to go on this bus. It was just a mess. And then we finally got another taxi. We get to the train station. Thank you, Adonai, Father. I lift up the train ride now. Now that we're at the train ride, I got to go to, the tr go to uh, Florence from the, on the train, and we lift it up to you, Lord God, we ask for your covering and your peace and your anointing over this train ride. And we get to Florence successfully and on time. And we get out of the train and we bring in our luggage. And Susie sees a little place to eat. She's like, let's just stop there and have some food. So we sit down in Florence and I'm looking around the streets of Florence. And, you know, I'm not much of a city guy. Like, I'm not a city guy. I like the country. You know, 10 out of 10 times, I'll choose mountains and lakes over skyscrapers and everything that a city has to offer. But this, Florence was just so beautiful. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. I'm looking at these, these narrow cobblestone roads with these yellowish houses with green shutters of the buildings. It was just so beautiful. And I realized, man, the real thing is so much nicer than Epcot. World Showcase. And it was really beautiful. And I just couldn't believe it. And I actually said to Susie, as we're sitting there in Florence, eating, it's going to be smooth sailing from here. It's going to be smooth sailing. We're here in Florence for a couple days. All we need to do is check into the Airbnb, and everything's going to be fine. We could just relax finally. After all this traveling, we could finally relax. So we get to the Airbnb, and uh, we open the door with the instructions. And all of a sudden, Susie walks in. It was, it was the basement. But all of a sudden, Susie walks in. She goes, oh, I don't like this place. Now, Susie has sometimes some gifted insight. You know, she had this kind of insight when we first walked into Mishkan David in 2007. Like, we're sitting there, and, like, nobody was there. Rabbi Peter was praying, and I think Carol and Florence, well, not Florence, the town, Florence, previous elder, if I don't know if everybody knows Florence, of blessed memory. They were there and praying over Rabbi Peter, and Susie goes, I like it here. I'm like, what is she looking at? Like, I don't see anything here. I just see an empty room with Rabbi with some ladies praying over him, and Nothing, but she saw something. And I, she, you know, so once we walked into the Airbnb, she goes, oh, I don't like this place. I'm like, oh, boy. Father, I lift up this Airbnb to you. I cover it. I ask you to cover this Airbnb. Anyway, so we, now we have to, according to the instructions, we need to go into the elevator and go from floor zero, which is where we were, to floor one. And the elevator, in its length and width, was probably the length and width of maybe this table. So it's the two of us and uh, our luggage. So we get into the, uh, the elevator, and we press floor one, which is where we needed to go, and the thing raises up. So we shut the back, the, the, the first door, and then we slide shut the door that was inside the elevator, like an accordion-like door. So we get up to the first floor, and we open the accordion door, and then we go to open the other door to get us out, and it ain't opening. So I'm like, all right, no problem. 
let's go back downstairs. I press zero to go back down to the floor. So I shut the accordion door, press zero. It goes or it goes down. It stops. I open up the accordion door, and all of a sudden, I re- outside of the accordion door, I see the top of the other door, the main door. It didn't reach the full bottom. We were between floors. I'm like, okay, let me press it again. It's not moving. Let's try to go up to one again. We press one. Door doesn't open. Let me press two. Let's maybe go to the floor above it. I press two. It goes up. Door does not open. Try this a few times. Susie is starting to hyperventilate. I am freaking out. It was 100 degrees in there. Like, it was really hot. Like, I don't know what's up with the sun in Italy, but it's hot. It's a different type of hot. So it was really hot. There wasn't a lot of air. And Susie's freaking out. And I'm freaking out because Susie's freaking out. Because I'm the one that picked this Airbnb in the first place, so I'm the one that's in trouble. So I'm freaking out. So I I contact the Airbnb owner. It doesn't go through. She doesn't answer. So then I start ringing the bell, you know, the alarm bell. I don't know who else is in this building. So I'm hitting the alarm bell, hitting the alarm bell, hitting. Susie is literally like hyperventilating. And she's saying, we are not staying here. I don't care if it's a palace. Once we're out of this elevator, you go find another place. So we're ringing the bell, ringing the bell, ringing the bell. All of a sudden, we hear, hello, somebody in there? Somebody in the, the elevator? Yes, we're in the elevator. We're stuck. We're part of the, we, we, we rented the Airbnb and we're stuck in the elevator. Anyway, so she calls up the owner of the, she was also part of, she was in some other Airbnb. She calls up the owner of the Airbnb and she says, they'll be here. It looks like in a half hour, they're going to try to get you out. In the meantime, this, this lovely woman is talking our ear off from the other side of the door. And She was like, honestly, she was like an angel to us. You know how God says he will charge his angels over you to protect you. And I'll tell you, all throughout our vacation, we encountered these little angels that helped us out. And she was one of them. And she just talked talked and talked and talked about everything. I don't even, whatever came to her mind, she just talked just to keep us calm. She was so sweet. Anyway, a half hour later, the owner comes and we get out of the elevator finally. And that was that. And then later on, now let me get to this crisis of faith that I had. All of a sudden, it was later on, and I kind of felt God say, aren't you going to pray about your meal or pray about your next part of your vacation? And I'm just being honest with you. I said, no thanks. I got it from here on in. And I had a little bit of a crisis of faith because I was thinking, you know what? I've been covering and praying about every little thing, and sometimes things went well, and sometimes things didn't go so well. And I prayed about it just as much about this Airbnb as the previous one, and all of a sudden things aren't going so well. So I'm like, well, what's the point of giving it to God? And if if we're going to have an experience like that, I'll take care of it myself. I got this. See, I made the incorrect assumption that when you pray for something, that is going to turn out like the way you want. But he is a good shepherd. And we all need a good shepherd. And we need to trust that he's got his, his sheep in his sight. Because Susie may have been hyperventilating, 
And I may have been like, this is the worst experience of my life. But in spirit, there was a little bell on us. Ding, 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 ding. And Yeshua was going, I see where you are. I see where you are. Everything's good from my perspective. I got you. See, we need a good shepherd. We all do. You know, I think Psalm 22 gets a bad rap because it's the funeral psalm. Right? We always say Psalm 22 when somebody dies. Psalm 23. 23. Psalm 23. It's like the funeral psalm. Like every, we always say it when somebody dies. But what I love about Psalm 23 is how it starts. King David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know what the beautiful thing about that is? King David was a shepherd. And he was a good shepherd. He was good at it. But he knows and he knew he needed a shepherd. And those are the areas that we really need God in the most. The areas that we're pretty good at, we need God. I'm a pretty good planner, even a vacation planner. But the Lord is the one I want to plan my life. The areas that we're good at, may all the doctors say the Lord is my healer. May all the provider, care, healthcare providers say the Lord is my provider. In the areas that we excel at is where we need them the most. So I had this crisis of faith that perhaps, like, I shouldn't be trusting him with this. Now, of course I snapped out of it. Of course I snapped out of it. But this is a battle from Satan. And let me explain. God will use Satan. And I'll always say God will allow Satan to do things because I believe firmly that Satan doesn't do anything without God's permission. Anything. If God has no control of Satan, then there's something that's out of his control, and that is impossible. So God allows it. So Satan, but Satan wants to harm us, and God wants to build us up. So Satan will bring, or God will allow Satan to bring trial into our life to break us. But God will use it to make us. And Satan's goal is for us to lose faith. To have experiences which make us want to rely on our own strength and forget about God and to abandon our faith. When we do that, he wins, but he doesn't win because God is a good shepherd and he knows what we need. And he's going to use these things to, to enhance our faith when Satan wanted to break our faith. When Satan wanted to break our faith. And I believe this is the battle of faith is the battle of the end times. I believe it. Because we see things in the end time scriptures, especially in the New Testament. We see in 2 Peter, where Peter is writing, in 2 Peter 3, he's saying in the end times, people are going to mock. And they're going to say, where is the sign of his coming? Where is he? He continues in his writing that the fathers have died and everything has remained the same. 
Now, I don't exactly know what the actual situation was that he was writing about. Maybe some of the earliest disciples started to pass away, and Yeshua didn't return yet. Maybe the second temple destruction happened, and Yeshua didn't return yet. I don't know the exact timing of when he wrote his second letter. But some people were really discouraged that things didn't happen according to their timeline. And they're questioning, like, where is he? Where is he? And Peter's charging us, don't lose faith. The day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, by the way, is Rosh Hashanah. The day of the Lord is Rosh Hashanah. Every time you see the day of the Lord in Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it's the day of trumpets. Remember that. That's what it is. And it comes like a thief in the night because the day of trumpets, that's the day where everything is going to change. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. Things are going to get tough in a moment. Things are going to get hard in a moment. That's what day of trumpets is. That's what the day of the Lord is. And the battle for our faith has begun. And there's other scriptures, like in Revelation, it says uh, during one of the cups of, or bowls of wrath that's poured out, the people curse God. They curse God. And it says who? They curse God, or they blaspheme the name of God, who has power over the plagues. In other words, they recognize that God is in control of all of this, but he's choosing not to pull it back. And instead of repenting, they curse him. So it's the circumstance that is causing the people to lose faith and to be done with God. And that's the, that's the little, a little microcosm of what I, what I experienced in Europe. I didn't want to trust him anymore just because of the challenges that we have. But this is the time that we need to be focusing in on our faith. And remember that just because you're praying about it, it doesn't mean it's going to work this way that you're thinking. God's ways are always, always the best ways. Amen. He is testing you to trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Though you slay me, yet I trust you. Trust him. Trust him. Trust in his plans. Trust in what he's doing. I, even going to the concentration camp was a test of my trust because I'm like, God, why, did this really have to happen this way? Very, very hard. Trust him. Trust him in his plans. Trust him in his plans. He's testing you. When you have a, a Pearl Harbor moment in your life, he is testing you. And I like the word test because it means, at least in English, it means a couple things. Like when we think he's testing us, right? What does testing mean? Tested as in like we're, he gave us a quiz. Like we could either do it. We could either get a good grade or a bad grade. It's a test. But testing also means refinement. Testing like gold is tested. Testing like silver is tested. He's testing us. He's testing us. Testing. So tomorrow night is Rosh Hashanah. It's the time when everything changes. It's awesome that the scripture that we read in the Torah, just before Rosh Hashanah, it says that the people are standing. 
for the Lord. It's like an army formation. That's what we see today. And God is formulating, forming his army right now. That is what Rosh Hashanah is about. It's about being ready in a moment. In a moment, things are going to change. And things can get real sideways. And things can get tough. But are we ready to stand and be available for him? And trust him, no matter what we see, the good shepherd has it, has it worked out. Bless the Lord. So why don't we do what Ibiya saw? Let me just anoint you all as we uh, close out the year 5782. Tomorrow night starts Jewish year 5783, the day of trumpets, the day of the Lord. Maybe, Susie, you can do a little singing, and I will anoint everybody. We'll close our service that way. Why don't everybody come up?